The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. All right, all right. Man, good morning, church. It is good to see you guys. Uh, thankful for Kevin leading us, man, in worship. Uh, just good to be back in the house of the Lord with you guys. I've been out of town um, two weeks ago. I was in Nashville uh, working a booth at the Wild Turkey Federation and uh, in Nashville at the Gaylord, man, had a great time. Um, and, um, and then last week, man, I was hard down sick. Like Kevin said, man, I can relate to his prayer, man. I was like, I was down, man, down hard. Um, and it's still good to see Paula back with us. Uh, she has been, too, has been sick. And, man, like, I know a lot of the church was praying for her and rallying around her. And, it, man, it's just good to see you. I, I heard you singing behind me. And I said, oh, that's Paula. I was excited. So um, for those of you that don't know me, I am Shay Haddock. I'm an associate pastor here on staff. Uh, if you're visiting with us or this is your first time, man, I just want to say welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, our beloved senior pastor, Jimmy Holbrook, is here in the house with us. Um, but he was uh, preaching and speaking at a, uh, a wild game banquet um, this uh, last night uh, at St. Louis. So, man, did you, did you get home late last night, I assume? So he, he, Jimmy was driving the, the red eyes last night. So, anyway, I thought I would uh, spare him this morning. But it is good to be with you. We have a lot of text to cover. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 25 and 26. Um, and uh, man, this, this may feel like a Speedy Gonzalez-style sermon, I don't know, but we'll leave that up to the Lord. Uh, but let's start in verse 1 of chapter 25 in the book of Acts as we continue in this kingdom series and we look to see how the kingdom of God is breaking out in the life of Paul how Paul gives us a great example of what it's like to live fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Um, man, I could not be more excited uh, that the Lord has presented me an opportunity to share with you guys the encouraging things about what God has done in Paul's life. And I hope that we all leave here encouraged today to live more um, impactful lives for Jesus to bless the kingdom of God. But before we jump in too deep, in verse 1 it does say, Now three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. So the little recap here, Paul has been on trial for um, pre preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's been proclaiming the gospel and the Jews are ticked off. Okay, they are frustrated that the gospel is imposing upon their religious organization. And so they have sought to kill him. Uh, and indeed here, um, uh, uh, Felix was a, a governor appointed by the Roman government to govern over the affairs of the, uh, the nation of Israel. Um, and so uh, he is now, Felix is now um, 
expired. Uh, his reign and rule is now over, and we now have a new governor over Judea, a Roman governor, by the name of Festus, okay? And so Festus uh, shows up kind of uh, new on the job, so to speak. Festus rolls into town. He rolls into Jerusalem, and uh, the leaders, the Jewish leaders and the chief priests in Jerusalem are presenting uh, their case uh, to uh, Festus saying, hey man, we, we need to get this man, Paul, uh, charged. Like we need to get this, we need to find this man guilty for preaching the gospel. And in order to do that, we need you, because Paul's currently in Caesarea, we need you to bring him to Jerusalem so that we can have him tried. But really, their whole goal was to ambush him, to kill him literally on the way. Okay, so their plot was no question to kill Paul. Festus answered in verse 4, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he's done anything wrong. So Festus says, nah, boys, bad idea. We're not bringing Paul to Jerusalem. I'm actually got to go to Caesarea anyway, so if you guys want to try him there, we'll have a little discussion um, a little a little hoopla, uh, and I'll let you guys present your case there. So y'all want to follow me on to Caesarea, um, let, let's go ahead and do that, okay? So I actually, I'm going to ask Christina to pull some slides up, um, some pictures, man. Who doesn't like pictures? Uh, so I thought I would put up here, um, th this is a Google map uh, version of the journey from Jerusalem to Caesarea, okay? Jerusalem uh, is pretty much in the geometric center of the nation of Israel, and Caesarea is up near the town of Haifa on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. So if you were to drive a car today, an hour and 47 minutes, roughly, for me, you know, are you guys anything like me? Like, when you see an hour and 47 minutes on Google Maps, I'm like, hour and a half, no problem, right? It's like, I'm definitely making an hour and a half. Uh, but anyway, I should have actually done the walk button, you know, to see how long it took to walk. I don't know, but, you know, a respectable journey. But anyway, that's where they were headed. So Paul's up in Caesarea. You can go to the next picture. These are actual pictures that I took of Caesarea. So Molly and I have actually had the good fortune of having traveled to Israel and been in the land. And so this is King Herod's, one of his many palaces that he had built on the shores of the Mediterranean in Caesarea, okay? So as Paul has been there, and King, I'm sorry, Governor Festus is rolling into town, he's seeing something like this. Next slide. This is the outside of the Colosseum that was in Caesarea, okay? And this is important because Paul's getting ready to preach a sermon to the governors, rulers, and King Agrippa himself. So I thought it'd be cool for you guys to actually see the, the Colosseum that Paul was literally preaching in. Go ahead. This is the inside of it, okay? No doubt there were at least several hundred people in attendance of this recorded event, probably several thousand. Um, the people would have been up in the crowd, and the king and, and, and his uh, cohorts would have all been down here in the bottom wearing their fancy robes and all of their splendor. Okay, next. This is Chuck. This is Pastor Chuck. He was the guy that we went on uh, our trip to Israel with. Behind him, the Colosseum is actually just off to the right. 
Right down there in the bottom was actually where the chariot races were for King Herod. So he uh, enjoyed, you know, good old-fashioned uh, modern-day NASCAR, you know, was going down right there uh, in the courts. You can see Herod's palace over there to the left. What's fascinating is Caesarea was quite the place in the first century, man. I mean, this place was like the Cabo San Lucas uh, for the king and the Roman uh, elite, okay? So next slide. Uh, this was actually believed to be a, a bath of sorts, so a, a, a hot tub, so to speak, that's outside on the, the portico of Herod's little, uh, Herod's lake house, right? So keep going to the uh, next slide. That's a picture of Molly and I. This was almost exactly 10 years ago to the day. I had just given my life to Jesus about six months before this trip, okay? So keep going. Here's another picture of Molly and I 10 years ago. Keep going. Another picture at the top of, at the top of Masada. Uh, at the Dead Sea is actually just to the right of us there. Keep going. This is another kind of an angle of the Colosseum where Paul will be preaching here in a second. Keep going. These are some remains of the statues and stuff that were outside of the palace, man. Like I said, I just wanted to share some pictures, a little trip down memory lane for me. But, man, this was quite a place, okay? I want you guys, when it says here in a little bit that they, uh, they, 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 the king showed up with great pomp. In, in, a, in a parade style fashion, man, I want you to picture like they're really showing up, man. I mean, this is quite a place, okay? So we're painting the scene here. Keep going. Uh, that, we did get baptized in the Sea of Galilee, so I didn't want to share pictures without these. These are my favorite pictures of the entire trip. This is me getting baptized in the Sea of Galilee, um, professing faith in Christ. Molly right behind me with a cool dunk picture right there. And uh, she's coming up. It was freezing cold. Uh, so anyway, I think that's all of them. Uh, oh, we got maybe one more, two more. I don't know. That's us in, uh, on the Temple Mount. But anyway, we had a great trip. That's in the old city of Jerusalem. So anyway, I wanted you guys to see a few pictures. Hopefully it comes to life for you guys a little bit as we're reading the text that, man, Paul is in a real place in front of real people at a real place in time preaching a real sermon about a real God and a real salvation experience that he had. Like, man, that, like that I think, just think is so important, man. Sometimes we can read the scriptures and we just, we hear the names of these towns and these places and it, it just... You know, in the, in, the, in the rhythm of life, man, it can be very hard to relate. Um, and so I feel very fortunate to have taken this trip. Um, and now here I am, 10 years later, preaching a sermon to you guys. So I won't go through the, I won't read verse by verse through the rest of 25. I'm going to summarize for us real quick. And the meat and potatoes is in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 26. But the remainder of chapter 25... Uh, Paul basically uh, gives his defense um, before uh, Festus and before um, um, the other governors. And he basically says, man, like, I, you know, if you guys think I did something wrong, go ahead and kill me. He just says, I, if you think I'm deserving of death, just take me out. Like, it's fine. But they didn't. They didn't. They had no case. And that's essentially why King, um, sorry, Governor Festus 
consults with King Agrippa, okay? King Agrippa is indeed the king of Judea. He is the Roman king over all the land, okay? Agrippa is a young guy. He actually came into office as a 17-year-old. And the reason that we have these governors like Felix and Festus and some of these other funny names are that um, the Roman gov, the emperor, did not necessarily feel like a 17-year-old king was fit to be a king, so he put some wise counsel around him to kind of help him lead and watch over um, the matters, you know, pertaining uh, the, the Jews and in the, in the land of Judea. And so in verse 13 of 25, though, this is kind of an important nugget. It says, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice. Now, Bernice, she, she shows up several times in this text. And I was kind of looking into, man, why is Bernice important? Like, it's, every time it mentions King Agrippa, it says King Agrippa and Bernice. Now, Bernice was actually King Agrippa, and this is King Agrippa II, by the way. King Agrippa I was his father, who had um, beheaded James, the, the Apostle James, okay? Um, so I, I want to paint a picture real quick of this King Agrippa. Number one, his... Um, his father was, uh, was Agrippa I, had beheaded James, the apostle. Um, his grandfather um, was, um, I'm drawing a blank, another one of the Herods, it doesn't matter. Um, he comes from a long line of Herods. The, his grandfather um, was the one who had ordered um, all of the execution of the babies in Jerusalem when Jesus was born. If you guys remember the story, Christ was born and the Magi came to see that indeed the Savior of the world had been born and uh, Herod hears about it, right? And he, he orders the, the murder of all the firstborn Jewish babies, boys, in the Bethlehem area, right? And so the, he comes, the point is that he comes from a long line of trouble. In fact, the scriptures and the extra biblical texts go out of their way to explain the horrors of the Herod family. So the Herodian line is a complete mess. King Agrippa II here that Paul's about to deal with is no exception to that. And as he shows up, King Agrippa shows up to town, he is accompanied by Bernice. Bernice is his sister who he is indeed in an incestuous relationship with. It's very public, it's very disgusting, but it's very known. They had no shame in it. Um, there, it's recorded that Bernice was often um, the mistress for um, the emperor Vespasian and his son Titus. She would go off on her little escapades serving the Roman government, and then she would come back and handle her business with King Agrippa, and he would parade around with her by his side as if it was something normal, and it was celebrated at the time. So that's kind of how upside down the culture was, uh, no different than today, but Festus is consulting King Agrippa because Paul says that he is appealing his case to Rome. Paul is trying to punch his ticket to Rome, basically saying, man, I am not guilty for these charges. If I am, go ahead and kill me. But they know that he's not guilty, and they can't um, confirm any of the accusations. And so Festus is consulting King Agrippa, going, man, I don't know what to do with this guy. Can you help me? Okay? Now we find ourselves in verse 23 of chapter 25, and this is, this is it gets good right here. He says, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, great pomp. 
and they entered the audience room with all the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city, and at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Now, I want to paint this picture for you. Agrippa has agreed to meet in this parade-like fashion to hear the, the case of Paul, to hear what in the world is going on in Paul the Apostle's life. Why are the Jews so stirred up about this man? Now, I want to remind you, Paul has been incarcerated for two years at this point. For two years. From, the, from literally the text that we ended in tw chapter 24 to where we pick up in 25, Paul has been in prison for two years. This, isn't, this didn't happen in like a week. Two years Paul was imprisoned and just awaiting to see what the Lord was doing. Um, we're not given any insight to what went on in Paul's life during those two years, but I can imagine it was a time of great reflection. Uh, it was a time of, of wondering, I'm sure. Um, I don't know all the feelings that Paul had, but I do know that Paul was trusting in the Lord and was believing that he was there with purpose. So I ask you today, man, like, are you kind of in, you, are you find yourself in a situation like Paul, like maybe in a, a two-year uh, prison of your own? Kind of wondering, man, what is God doing? Like, why am I here? Like, what is this purpose? Man, I hope this story today encourages you. Man, you'll see in a second that God had great purpose for Paul being there. And not one minute was wasted in Paul's life as he's approaching this opportunity to present the gospel before the king. And, but they show up with great pomp, man. Like they, and I love that word, pomp. So I looked it up. In the Greek, the word is fantasia. Fantasy. It's like, I imagine like my kids, they love to dress up. And Joshua especially, my five-year-old, he loves to dress up, man. He'll dress up like a cowboy, you know, with his hat and his boots and his gun and his, and his pistol, you know. But he doesn't mind dressing up like a girl, too. You know, he'll throw the bows on. He'll put the dress on. And he just like, you know, he'll, like he just... He fantasizes, right? He's five years old, and his, his imagination is going wild. That's kind of like how these grown men are acting. Literally, the king, without question, shows up in royal robes, man, with a cr golden crown. I picture he's just got rings for days, man. I mean, he is the king, the king, man, Agrippa himself, you know, and he shows up with great pomp. The trumpets are blowing, man. They got the, uh, the curtains, you know, for the entrance. I'm sure he had a red carpet of sorts, big fancy chairs, and they're sitting at the bottom of that Colosseum, you know, and there's a crowd gathered. All the elite of the day are there, man. This is quite a deal. And it says that the whole Jewish community has petitioned me, uh, I'm in verse 24 still, has petitioned me about Paul in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he should not live any longer. They're literally like, I'm, I'm reminded of when they uh, said to Jesus, right? They're like, do you want Barabbas or Jesus? They're like, we want Barabbas, like crucify Jesus, kill him, kill him. They were just out of their minds. That's how they are with Paul. They're like, kill that man. We want him dead, cut his head off, whatever. They just want him dead. And so Agrippa is trying to kind of wrap his mind around what is going on. And so um, it's, this is really more of an investigation. It's not a trial, okay? It's not a trial. It's just simply an, it's a public investigation of the accusations against Paul. 
And for the sake of time, I am going to just jump in right to chapter 26. Um, I apologize for skipping around, but we got a lot of text. Verse 26, here we go. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So right now, Paul is standing before this great crowd, before the great pomp, no doubt in chains. He has a guard, I'm sure, on either side of him. He is in chains. Now, we only have a few descriptions of the Apostle Paul, his physical appearance. One of them is recorded in the writings of Josephus, the Jewish historian hired by the Roman government to document the antiquities of the Jews. The description of Paul physically by Josephus himself was that he was a man very short in stature. He was bald. He had a hunch a crooked nose, and extremely bow-legged. Those, those are the descriptions of Paul himself. So you can picture an old bald man hunched over, bow-legged, with a crooked nose, you know, and he's looking up at the, at the king, you know, like, hey, boy, you know, what do you have to say? You have permission to speak. You know, he's, he's speaking with great pomp. And Paul's like, <clears throat> you know, getting ready to let him have it. So I want y'all, I want to paint that picture. So Paul motions with his hand and begins his defense. Y'all stay with me here. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore... I beg you to listen to me patiently. So he approaches this man very humbly. King Agrippa, I'm humbled to be here, but I'm hoping that you listen up, is what he's saying. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. So he's starting to summarize his life. He's telling his story. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I love that Paul brings to the attention here that the primary problem that the Jews had with the message that Paul was giving was that Christ not only was crucified but resurrected. The resurrected Christ, the fact that Jesus the Son of God, the God-man, the Lamb of God himself, not only was crucified to take away the sin of the world, his mother included, but he rose from the dead so that his spirit that raised him from the dead might live in us. And they were saying that is blasphemous. That The resurrection of Jesus is what they could not get over. And Paul says, "Is why is it so incredible that you guys think God... Um, um, raises the dead. Like if God is God, it shouldn't be that unbelievable, is what Paul is saying. Paul, then he, what I love, man, this is so good. Paul says, I was convinced in verse 9 
that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's basically saying, I was just like them. I understand them, but I'm proving them wrong. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many times I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. And in my obsession against them, I went to foreign cities to, pers to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, on the road to pursue, to kill, and persecute Christians, while I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, this is the voice of the Lord, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Kicking against the goads, I want to sit here for one second. A goad also could have been, um, in other translations, in the original King James, it says it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And the prick was literally like a stick or a rod, and it had like a nail on the end of it, or some sort of knife or a, a, some sort of prodding um, you know, mechanism. And, and, a, and a goad was used to get animals moving that were not willing to move, like they were stubborn animals. Like the ox, if the ox wouldn't move from the, the holding pin to the feeding pin, the owner would give him a little poke in the backside, you know, and get him moving, right? Well, when they didn't like that, big fat ox didn't like getting poked in the butt, he would kick, right? But when he would kick, the bottom of his foot, which if you guys know anything about horses or large livestock, their feet are sensitive. And so when they kick against that goad, man, ah, it hurts, right? And so they get going. And so that's what Paul was, or that's what God was doing with Paul. He's poking him in the butt with the goad saying, let's go, man. And he's, and he's telling him, Paul, it, it's, it sucks kicking against the goad, bro. Every time you kick, man, that foot's going to be a little sore right? The Lord does the same thing for us. It's hard for us to kick against the goads. It's hard for us, man, when the Lord's pricking us, getting us to move because we're lazy and we're sluggard sometimes spiritually, right? We all are. I am. Man, the Lord gets me and I'm like, ah, okay, you know, ready to go. The Lord's like, it's feeding time. It's harvest time. It's, let's, let's move it. The kingdom is at hand. That's what he's saying to us. So, Jesus would ask you the same question that he asked Paul. Why are you persecuting me? If you're standing around spiritually lazy, you're persecuting Jesus. Like, get going, man. Don't kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? In verse 15, <laughs> Jesus, he says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I think the Lord is saying that to us too. Get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Like, I've got something for you, man. Get up, stand up, and pay attention. That's what he's saying. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He's saying, Paul, get up. Get going, buddy. I'm going to change your life and going to use you to change other people's lives. And that's what he's doing with us. He's saying, get up. Get on your feet and get moving. I'm going to use you. I'm going to put a story in you that only you have because I created you and I love you. And we're going to get moving. And the power of the Spirit of God is going to fall on your life and you're going to reach people. That's how this works. So then King Agrippa, verse 19, I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God. And listen to this. Prove their repentance by their deeds. Man, the way that we live, live our lives is representative of whether or not we have repented and turned to the Lord and had a born-again experience or not. Just look into your own life. It's that simple. Are you saved or not? I don't know. Look into your life. Have you... Have you proven your repentance by the way that you live your life? That's a good question to ask. That is why the Jews seized me, Paul says, in the temple courts, and they tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. This is also important, man. Paul's presentation of the gospel before King Agrippa is a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus said, you will speak to kings and leaders. This is a, even as Paul's preaching, he's probably thinking in his mind, oh my gosh, what Jesus told me 10 years ago is coming true right now. I'm preaching in front of the king. How cool is that? He says that the Christ, verse 23, would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. He says, God, was, God is with me. God is protecting me. And he is with you. Like, man, if you're scared to tell your family about Jesus, don't be. God is with you. If you're scared to tell your, your coworker or your boss or your neighbor or your friend, man, that Jesus has changed your life, don't be. God is with you. Like, he, that's, that's what he has appointed you to. He has called you to that. So just walk in it with courage. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Festus said. He just stops the madness that Paul's preaching, and he just stands up, and he says, You're nuts, man. He shouted, Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. I love that. It's true and reasonable, man. Like, he's not, it's not like he's talking about, you know, aliens on planet Saturn and they're, you know, he's like, no, this is totally reasonable. Like, the fact that Jesus, whom you're well aware of, he's telling them, um, the fact that he died and rose from the dead showed himself to people on earth and validated that indeed it was true. It's been recorded by many people, over 500 witnesses, indeed. And he says the fact that he encountered me on the road to Damascus and changed my life, and now I'm here preaching to you, that is not unreasonable. It's totally reasonable, and it's true, right? That's how we share the gospel. That's how we present it. We present the gospel as both true and reasonable, like, I think that sometimes we feel like what we're sharing is just, like, totally nuts to some people. Well, guess what? It is. 
to some people, to those who don't believe. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, right? But to those who want to know, it is the love of God. It is the good news of Jesus. It is the gospel that sets them free. And so the person that you're talking to is one or the other. Verse 26, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. The things about Jesus, the life that Jesus lived, was not done in secret. It was on public display for the world to see. He says, so I'm trusting that you know what I'm talking about. The same is true today. Man, people want to know who Jesus is. They do. And there's churches that aren't clarifying that. There's books that aren't making that clear. There are conversations and preaching and teaching that's happening that is not adding one ounce of clarity to people around who Jesus really is. But it's available. It's available through the preaching and teaching of spirit-filled people. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. He's, he's, he's making a case. He's trying to reach King Agrippa. He's realizing that God has appointed me to share the gospel with this man. Then Agrippa said, do you think that in such short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He's rejecting it. He's not receiving it, but that's okay. It, the outcome doesn't matter. When we share our faith, the outcome, how they respond is totally irrelevant. Just do what God has asked you to be faithful with. Listen to what Paul says. Paul said, short time or long time, I pray, God, that not only you, but every person listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. He, except for these chains. He says, I don't care whether you accept Jesus now or 50 years from now or whether just you or everyone in this room gets saved. I pray that everyone does. But I pray that they come to know Jesus as I know him. And I pray not only that, but that the chains I'm enduring in order to speak to you, that you wouldn't have to endure. Like he's, he's praying that he cares for them. And he's showing that by preaching to them. The king rose, and with him the governor, and Bernice, and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while take, talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything deserving of death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man had, uh, could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, some people would say, man, Paul made a mistake, man. He appealed to Caesar, you know. What was he thinking, man? He could, they would have acquitted him right there. They would have set him free. But guess what? It wasn't the will of God. The will of God was that Paul uh, go to Rome. That was the will of God. And this, by God's design and by his perfect orchestration, that's exactly how he was supposed to get Paul to Rome. And I guarantee you, when Paul said, I appeal to Caesar, and he had that um, ability as a Roman citizen, that was his um, right to appeal to Caesar, he pro it probably dawned on him in that very moment, ah, Lord, that's how you're sending me to Rome. Because we read in the, in the letter to the Romans that he longed to visit them. He longed to be with them. But until God made a way, he just had to write to them. Now he's going. Jimmy's going to preach about that next week. But I wanted to end with this. Galatians 2, if you would turn with me there. Galatians 2, verse 19. We'll start there. And um, Kev or, or whoever is uh, coming up to... Bless us with some tunes as we close the service. You guys are welcome to come up at this time. Uh, we'll, we're going to land the plane here, but 
Galatians 2, verse 19. I just am praying that this is our heart, that we would mimic Paul's heart here as we read. Paul says, for through, this is his letter to the church at Galatia, and I believe the letter to the church at OPCC this morning. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says, man, I no longer live, but Christ in me. Like, I, I wrote down a good, um, man, one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time, J. Vernon McGee, man, an older gentleman. He has since gone to be with the Lord, an amazing preacher and teacher. He said this, you may know the facts of the gospel, but it's your relationship to those facts that's essential. I see this happen in the church so much, I see, and it breaks my heart. There's people that will profess faith in Christ, that they will say that they believe Jesus died on the cross for their sin. They might even say that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was resurrected. They might even say that they believe in spiritual baptism, that the Spirit of God actually fills them and empowers them for ministry. But their relationship to those facts, it, there's a gap. And that's the difference between somebody walking out the call of God in their life, like Brother Paul here, the Apostle Paul, living out full dedication in his life, full surrender to God, and at every turn of his life had opportunities to point people to Jesus. And somebody that is saved, but has really never led anyone to Christ, has never discipled anyone, and that's why in this church we are so committed to making disciples. We cannot preach a sermon and then get away from the idea that God has called us to make disciples. That's exactly what Paul is doing. I'm massively confident that the two years he spent in prison, he was making disciples with the prisoners that were there. I promise you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look at the Apostle Paul in the eye. I'm going to give him a hug and say, oh, brother, you, 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 you help me know the Lord, man. Like, thank you. And there's going to be some pe there's going to be some bro right next to him that's like, me too. And I'm like, when did you meet Paul? He's like, oh, man, I was in prison with him. You know? And you're going to be like, whoa. Like, I know for a fact there's going to be stories like that, man. And so I just pray that your relationship to the facts, the truths, the reasonable things of God that are found in the gospel are today more real to you, and your relationship to those truths uh, starts to um, manifest. But I tell you, man, living for Jesus, like when, when things happen in your life and God gives you opportunities around every turn and corner of your life to tell people about the good news of God, man, your life is fun. It's not rid of challenges. It's not rid of exhaustion or fatigue or, or, or sadness or any of that, man. Those are all uh, parts of life. 
But I will tell you, man, knowing that the God of the universe is in you and has empowered you for ministry, and when you are filled with the purpose of helping somebody else come to know Jesus Christ in a more authentic way, your life is filled with more purpose than anything else this world can offer. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.